Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors podcast. I am one of your hosts, Christopher Summers. Thanks so much for joining us. Here with me is, as always, Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi, Christopher. So good to be here again. And joining us once again, as he did a couple episodes ago, is Robert Kenna, uh, one of our senior editors here at Open Doors USA. Robert, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, Christopher, it's great to be here. And also with you, Julia. Thanks for inviting me. So we are here to discuss what is going on uh, with persecuted Christians around the world. Um, I'm sure, I hope you've had time to watch and pray with your brothers and sisters, even in the midst of a really busy and difficult autumn. I think I speak for everyone when I say it will be good to have uh, TV back without election ads constantly. Um, and that hopefully the stress and the tension of this season will uh, give way to a more peaceful time as we get uh, head toward Christmas here. So I know there is still a lot going on, even in the midst of an election season here in the United States, as well as the pandemic that continues to impact all of our lives. There are unfortunately still lots of persecution incidents that are affecting our brothers and sisters worldwide. So I wanted to start by asking Julia if there is anything as she has uh, read and looked out for f- coming from the Open Doors field that she's seen. Um, Julia, is there anything that you've seen that's really stuck with you over the last few weeks? Uh, definitely. Actually, it was it's a story that we just received. And ever since I read it, I... I've just been trying to process it and ponder it. Um, So I'm just going to really quickly. So we recently learned about a young Christian woman named Maria in one of the persecuted countries that we work in. I can't uh, specifically say for security reasons, but she was on her way to her factory job when three armed men blocked her path and and forced her into a car. Um, Three days later, Maria's parents saw their daughter in court and unexpectedly Um, everyone was shocked when Maria told the court, I have converted to Islam. One of the men that had kidnapped her had chosen Maria to be his second wife. And there was just really nothing that her parents could do in a court system that favors uh, Islamic law. Wow. Like, does this kind of thing of women or girls being abducted happen frequently in our work? Is it a pretty widespread phenomenon? Yes, this is a dangerous trend in many Muslim-majority countries where Christians are persecuted. One of our partners who works in one of um, these countries in Asia tells us that there are at least two cases of disappearing Christian women and girls each day. So yes, it's an epidemic. In certain regions, Muslim extremists have created an environment where rapists and and kidnappers target women and girls, especially Christians, because they force them um, to convert and they're forced into these marriages like Maria was. The pandemic um, has made Christian girls and women in these countries even more vulnerable because of fewer people being on the streets. So I just want to raise up Maria and her family and really just all Christian girls and women who are at risk. And I hope that because we now know what's happening. I know this is a hard, hard story to hear. It it pulls at me in every single aspect from being a woman to um, being a mother. But we, we just need to know what's happening. And I hope we'll remember to pray for them and, and share their story. Julie, I was also going to ask, is there any power that the parents, the Christian parents have 
to pull their daughters out of these Muslim marriages? Or there, is there any leverage? What's it like? Like what kind of power do they have? That's actually the really hard part, Robert. Um, so a lot of times these families are threatened. They're threatened with their lives. And um, these women who say that I've converted to Islam, they've been threatened that these Muslim extremists will actually harm their family. And so in a sense, these families are silenced. They've been silenced. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. I can't imagine to be in that situation as a parent and not be able to rescue your daughter. It's actually unthinkable. Again, I'm still just trying to process it and um, just continuing to pray. Sometimes sometimes it's one of those things that's just very hard to wrap your head around. And so you just need to, to go to God in prayer. Yeah, it's definitely a prayer need for sure. Do we know, Julia, what happened to Maria? Like, is that the latest thing we know? I'm glad you asked that because she actually managed to escape um, just um, really just recently and someone helped her. And now she and her entire family are in hiding. Um, Maria says that she never actually converted to Islam on her own will, um, but was forced because of her kidnappers threats. Since that, that gets into the, what I was just talking about with Robert about the silence aspect. So Maria and her family are being cared for by um, other Christian families who are protecting their identity and location. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, very hard story. And it's hard to think about that this is not um, an anomaly or that this is, you know, this is something that that's an exception. It really honestly isn't. It's happening, as, as our partner said, two times every day. So, yeah. Wow. Those are those are hard things to hear. We'll definitely uh, lift up Maria and other women and girls like her uh, across across the world up in prayer. Um, I wanted to quickly go through some a recent report that our field released uh, about some new numbers from India. Uh, each each quarter, we actually kind of take a look back um, in places like India, where we really track like what's been happening to the church, how are Christians being persecuted, what are some updates there. So we just received these numbers um, in the morning we're recording this. So. So they've been able to track and kind of analyze because they always, you know, make sure to fact check and go back through and make sure that these are uh, valid numbers. So they, uh, the field has been able to analyze the numbers coming between January and June 2020, and they've tracked a total of 349 individual incidents uh, targeting Christians in India alone. Um, that's a over five and a half thousand people have been impacted by persecution incidents. So we have a report of four individuals have been murdered, uh, 394. So almost 400 people have been either interrogated or falsely charged uh, for following Jesus. Over seven and a half hundred people have been physically abused. And then uh, almost 90 religious services have been disrupted. And then the thing that really made, uh, that really kind of took my breath away is that, so we've helped more than 100,000 people in India with COVID-19 aid, because often we've heard a lot of uh, stories about Christians who were near starvation or their families were near starvation during the lockdown. And then other times we've heard, or, or, or in the same people, we've heard that they've been discriminated against from getting any kind of governmental aid because of their faith. So of the more than 100,000 individuals, which is 
such a huge number. Our researchers estimate that 80 to 90% of those people were denied aid just because they follow Jesus. Wow. Wow. So we have heard that 80% of those people have been denied food aid. And then another 15% have said that they experience other forms of discrimination um, from the government, like being refused a government job for being a Christian. Uh, one of our partners even said some people, some Christians even hid the fact that they were Christians just so they could get government aid during the COVID-19 lockdown. So um, it's clear that this is an ongoing issue. And, you know, if you follow the news, you know that India has one of the largest case rates in the world, which, you know, as they're the second most populous country in the world, that that does make sense. It's just a really stark reminder that even you know, here in the U.S., as we continue to, you know, figure out how to navigate through this pandemic and, you know, what's wisest to protect our neighbors and to love each other and love our communities well, these have even more significant consequences and uh, dire results in places where Christians are discriminated against. So the pandemic has, um, it's in a sense, a double persecution. The pandemic yeah. is really crystallized. I think that's something that is really valuable for us to pay attention to is that, you know, I think anyone listening to this knows kind of the reality of persecution against Christians and that persecution exists. But it, to me, what the pandemic has done around the world is it's really shown the true colors of discrimination against Christians in a really stark way. Whenever people need, you know, food or job aid or, you know, just money to live on, and the government is providing that, but they won't provide it because the family is a Christian. Like to me, that just is such a crystal clear example of what it means to be persecuted for following Jesus. Yeah, it blows my mind because I think through like the way that relief is distributed in places like India, especially in rural settings, is that it goes through the village leaders and then the village leaders distribute that among the village. And if the village leaders know that you're a Christian, don't want you to have that relief. It's so it's different. I mean, how we perceive it here, where we yeah. might go to a government, I mean, get government aid and go, I mean, get our food at a grocery store. But in this setting with India, it's so personal. So in that tight community of a village to say that you're rejected and not getting aid is again, it's just incredibly difficult and extreme. Uh, and it's, it's such a tough form of persecution that Christians deal with daily with this. And especially like you said, uh, Julia just ratcheted up in a double persecution. I mean, and during this COVID time as well. And the idea too, I think we've also heard um, from our partners in um, India as well as um, some of uh, these other countries in Asia, Southeast Asia, that people are basically being asked to reconvert to the tribal religion or to, for example, Hinduism or Islam. So, in a sense, it's a convert or die situation. I do think it's important to point out that. You know, we just got these numbers from India, but India is certainly not the only place where these kinds of things are happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to hear from two Christians uh, from Nigeria, uh, which also we've heard plenty of stories coming out about uh, Christians in certain areas who are denied aid because of their faith. So we're actually going to hear two stories. One is from Rose and the other is from Abigail. And even though these women live in different places, they have pretty similar stories as you've likely heard or hopefully have read or heard through the prayer app or through other places like our website, persecution and violence against Christians hasn't 
decrease necessarily around the world, even as people have been locked down because of the coronavirus. We've actually seen in Nigeria and in other places in sub-Saharan Africa in particular, we've actually seen violence going up during the pandemic. So both of these women were impacted by violence in Nigeria um, in the form of having their uh, husbands taken away from them and killed. But not only that, in addition to that, so losing a husband and their kid's father, they also had to grapple with a sudden lockdown that stripped away any possibility of food. So we wanted to hear uh, in their own voices what it's been like and how hopefully Open Doors has been able to help a little bit. A couple of quick notes before we get to the actual stories with these women. You'll hear the real voices, but then we'll be using a translator, obviously, so it won't be the real voices, but that way you can hear it in English. And then we didn't get into this during this story uh, because it hadn't happened when these were recorded, but um, we did just want to mention that you've probably seen on the news uh, things about the NSARS protests going on in Nigeria, and those are protests against police brutality and some divisions of the Nigerian police that have uh, been accused of real human rights atrocities. And our work hasn't really been impacted outside of the ways that everyday Nigerians' lives have been impacted with curfews and sort of the threat of uh, unrest. But please do continue to pray for those things in addition to the lockdown, in addition to the stories you'll hear from Rose and Abigail. Uh, with those things said, uh, here are Rose's and Abigail's stories. Rose and Abigail are two women in Nigeria and both had their husbands taken from them simply because their husbands follow Jesus. Not only that, but these two women have had to try to rebuild their lives in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Often that meant they didn't know where their next meals would come from. They didn't know how to feed their kids. But thanks to your prayer and support, Open Doors was able to help them with emergency supplies. They recently told us their stories. We'll hear from Abigail first, who carried her baby with her on her back as she talked to us. My husband was a very fine man. We never had a fight. We had one child, a girl. She's on my back now. This is what happened. My husband and I were at our farm, working together. Then we heard a gunshot. It was a gang of Fulani herdsmen. While trying to run away, we saw that they were all around. There was no escape. We split up and each of us ran in a different direction. Abigail's husband was killed in that attack. Most of their possessions were destroyed. Abigail and her daughter were forced to flee to a makeshift displacement camp where people fleeing violence in northern Nigeria could find some safety. We don't have sufficient food here in the camp. Whatever we get, we have to share with each other. Sometimes people fight because there is not enough food. We are just suffering here. The restrictions because of COVID-19 really make our life more difficult. In northern and central Nigeria, attacks on Christians by militant groups are common. COVID-19 has meant farther challenges. Incomes dried up during the lockdown and Christians are often last in line to receive aid. 
But thanks to your support, Abigail has now received vital aid for her family and has returned home. She is one of 9,000 Christians in Nigeria that Open Doors hopes to help before the end of the year. I usually have sleepless nights, thinking where my next meal and money for fertilizer will come from. I planted rice yesterday. I kept wondering who would assist me with fertilizer to use on the farm. Then God used these people to provide for me. They also gave me one bag of rice, corn, and beans. It's what I'm using to cook right now. We had no food before now. I am really happy. I really am. Because of the food they gave us today, I am grateful to God and the people he used. God bless them. Next, we'll hear from Rose. One note, you'll hear her mention her pregnancy. Praise God, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl shortly after she spoke to us. Fulani people attacked our community, and my husband was killed. It happened on April 7th. My name is Rose Matthew. I got married to my husband, and God blessed us with two daughters. The third baby is in my womb. My husband served as a pastor in a church in this village of Mbra, Zungu. Extremist attacks on Christians have continued in Nigeria and other African countries during the lockdown. Villagers came to me and brought me to the place where it happened. I saw my husband lying dead with the grave already dug. While we were waiting for the coffin to be brought, I plucked up the courage to hug him. I whispered a prayer to him and then we had to leave that place. Then the Nigerian government announced lockdowns to curb the COVID-19 pandemic. Severe hunger came and we had no food. There was no money to buy any food. We couldn't trade anything for money because the markets were closed. Christians like Rose, who often are day-to-day workers and don't make very much money, were facing starvation and discrimination in distribution of government aid. We were happy when the government also announced food aid for the poor. But we were left out. We received none of that food. Our hopes were dashed. And I decided to ration the food that we have until help comes. Sometimes we go to sleep without any food. I only put my trust in God to see me through. Rose was able to get a little help from local churches, but many of those same Christian communities were devastated by the effects of COVID-19 and the lockdown. Plus, in the areas around Rose's village where the government had delivered relief, Christians are often last in line or miss out completely. Fortunately, thanks to your prayers and support, Open Door's local partners knew that after she had her third baby, she would really need urgent help. So the team quickly put together a relief package and visited Rose. 
When they saw her, they told us that she looked healthy and strong, and she was absolutely in love with her newborn daughter. She told us, thank you, may God bless you, after she unpacked the food and other essentials we brought. These are just two of the stories of Christians in Nigeria and throughout Sub-Saharan Africa who need immediate relief aid. We've identified around 15,000 families that we think we can help weather this crisis. And we invite you to stand with them and pray to see if maybe God is calling you to get involved. So those were just two of the stories that we've recently heard coming out of Nigeria. Uh, Robert, I know that, again, you've been working really heavily on impact and need kind of in the global church. If people are curious, like what Open Doors is doing to address some of these needs, like in the case of both Rose and Abigail, we were able to help. How can people find out uh, what's going on? You know, what are what is Open Doors doing to address some of these problems um, and how can people find out more? Yeah, Christopher, thanks so much for bringing attention to that. I, I would say the first step for anybody who wants to, to know more about our efforts, they should go to opendoorsusa.org slash COVID impact. And we have a full page of impact that's laid out there with each region and country and specifics of what we're doing in each of those places. Like for instance, in Nigeria, they were delivering emergency food kits, soap, other essentials, we're also helping support things like rent and medicine uh, to more than 15,000 vulnerable families consisting of women and children, uh, many from Muslim background believers and church leaders across East and West Africa. Um, and then specifically in Nigeria, we're helping more than 11,000 persecuted believers. And it goes on from there to Niger, to Mali, Central African Republic, and many other West and East, East and West African countries. But again, each country in each reg region has specific needs. So some are more um, that their their need for food relief is extreme, and it's it's uh, such a critical time to to bring that relief and aid to them. Others need financial support, and then others still again medical help and relief that way too. So, yeah, from I would even say from India, like you'd mentioned earlier, we've we've helped hundred thousand persecuted believers in India, and across Asia, we've helped more than one hundred ninety thousand persecuted believers with COVID support. And if I skip down to Middle East and North Africa, another 23,000 people that we've helped there. And we've, we've shared before, a lot of our current projects we had to put on hold because of the urgent request and need to, to strengthen the church through food and through emergency aid during this time. I think one of the cool things is we talked earlier about how the coronavirus pandemic has really, you know, kind of clarified the issue of persecution. But I think one of the really neat things that's come out of it, um, and that makes me really proud to work uh, at Open Doors, is it's also clarified what Open Doors does. Because like you said, you know, in some places the need is food. In some places it's, you know, a roof over people's heads. In some places it's, you know, help running their church because they know they need to provide spiritual support for people. It, it just feels like, you know, we are, try to partner with the local church however we can and whatever the local church needs. And it seems like it clarifies our mission too, because it you know, it shows all the different ways that people have needs and it shows all the different things that Open Doors tries to do uh, with whatever we're hearing from the field. Yeah, and I would say it's a, it's a big testimony to our field teams and our partners in the field that's across, I mean, so many regions that they were able to pivot and be flexible 
to to meet the greatest needs of the church at this very time. Yeah. And I think too, also when I when I think about the fact that Robert, you mentioned that we're strengthening the church. And I think about especially with Rose and Abigail and so many, actually so many widows that we've talked to um that are raising children and, and really just um believers, all believers that are that are raising children and the idea that we are strengthening the church and then we're also equipping families to raise their children to love God. And so therefore we're building the kingdom because we are reaching these next generations through their parents and strengthening them. And I think with, I mean, we've heard many times from believers that without your support, um, we would have had to have, well, with some, we would not have survived. Others, we would have had to have gone back to our old, you know, our old ways. So I just appreciate the fact that Open Doors is um, not only uh, working in the present, but through our work, we're also strengthening these next generations as well. And I would say we we get so many thank yous from persecuted believers across the world that it's just so powerful to read those. We don't can't share every one because there's so many that come through. But but I wanted to share one I'm from a believer in Kenya. Her name is Aisha, and she says this. She says, since COVID nineteen struck, it has been hard to provide for my family. Muslim neighbors would tell my children, "You kafar." which means infidel, you need Allah. In all honesty, it was tempting to go back to Islam just for the sake of food. But one of my daughters told me, Mama, wait upon the Lord. And I'm so glad I did. We are so happy to receive this food. It just came in time. Thank you very much. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that, you know, those thank yous are for you too, who are listening to this. Uh, If you've uh, prayed for and you've supported the mission of Open Doors in our ministry, then those thank yous are for you because you are the ones who have given to help make those kind of things happen. If you're curious about how you can get involved, um, you know, if you're on the COVID relief page that Robert mentioned earlier, you can click that donate button and you can find out more about how to get involved with our ongoing need. We have been able, because of your gifts and prayers, to make uh, a great impact already in 2020. But the work doesn't stop because COVID hasn't stopped and because persecution hasn't stopped. So there is so much more ongoing need that we would love to have your support and prayer for. Uh, Speaking of prayer, uh, Julia, I wonder if before we turn to prayer, if you would just mind kind of sharing a couple of requests, particularly from, you know, these stories you've heard of Rose and Abigail, uh, particularly from Nigeria or Sub-Saharan Africa that uh, we can lift up before we end this episode. I'm sure we all still have Rose and Abigail stories on our minds. They probably they're probably staying with us, and so I just want to to bring up the fact that we have met uh, numerous women who have their similar stories, and their husbands have been killed in extremist attacks in Nigeria. So, and now they're trying to care for their family by themselves, and in the midst of this pandemic. So, definitely want to pray for God's provision, uh, protection from future attacks and or exploitation as well as guidance uh, for these women and especially these widows. I also think too that I was thinking too is the idea of that. Um, I just pray that God would confuse the plans of these terrorist groups who really, as we speak, are plotting to attack villages, churches, and schools in Nigeria. And I don't think I'm exaggerating because there are so many attacks. And so I just hope that we can all pray that God would just would thwart the enemy basically. And then um, I'd want to ask God to take care of these, the littlest voices. I think of Rose and Abigail's children and just often it's the children who 
who, you know, are the ones that must live without a parent or go to bed with no food or unable to attend school or be part of a church. Um, they're leading completely different lives than what um, our children here in the U.S. are are uh, experiencing. So we just want to remember these next generations as well. Robert, would you mind closing us in prayer? Yes, love to. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace and thank you for the time to, to talk about these stories that are so important to you and so important to your church um, from Rose and from Abigail and their families. Dear God, and we lift them up today and we just ask that you would guide them to have continued increasing faith and boldness and courage as they go through the loss and deal with the trauma that they've been through as they still seek to provide for their children day after day and week after week, Lord. And I pray for their children that you would just guide them with a new and growing faith in you as well. And uh, Lord, I just pray for our listeners today too, those who are praying and supporting the persecuted church, dear God, that you would work in their hearts, in their minds, and their lives, dear God, to connect them to their global family, dear God, to know that, that what they're doing is making a difference to strengthen the church, dear God, in some of the most difficult places to be a Christian in the world. And so, God, we just ask that you would bless this work, bless the listeners, bless the church. We love you deeply, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Robert and Julia, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing this podcast episode with us. Yeah, definitely. This has been so, so powerful, really, really beautiful. I know these these are these stories are, are difficult, but there's something beautiful too about us being the hands and feet of God. Yeah. Thanks so much, Christopher. Thanks so much, Julia. It's been great to be here with you. Yeah. And thanks so much to you for listening and spending your time with us. As a reminder, you can always find new information and up-to-date info at our website, opendoorsusa.org. To recap what uh, Robert said, if you would like to find out how Open Doors is trying to address the COVID-19 pandemic and what we've been able to do with your help and prayers, you can visit opendoorsusa.org backslash COVID impact. And you'll be able to see a video as well as what we've been able to do, as well as some ongoing needs that we have. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us and for caring about your brothers and sisters who are persecuted for following Jesus. We ask again for your prayers and for your support. And thank you for joining your family all over the world because we really are one church and one family. Thanks and see you next time. Mm -hmm.